fiction author Kiera Cass wrote these words. She said, Cinderella never asked for a prince. She asked for a night off and a dress. Can all the ladies said? <laughs> Some of you didn't get real into that. I'm, I'm, I appreciate that. Eleanor Roosevelt, former first lady, said, well-behaved women rarely make history. Ladies, can I get an amen? <laughs> You're like, can I say that in church? Is that even allowed? We've been going through the Gospel of John, and we've been looking at who Jesus is, and John's really trying to help us see Jesus. And what he's been doing in the last chapter, chapter 3, and into chapter 4 that we're doing is we're, we're pressing in and we're finding out more about who Jesus is in his interactions with people. We get this. We find out more about ourselves when we interact with people. I don't know about you, but when I'm not around people, I'm, I'm a pretty great person. If everybody just leaves me and my introverted self alone, things are great. The problem is when you show up. <laughs> the problem is I'm a great husband till my wife has expectations for me. I'm a great parent until my kids are annoying. All right. And all the things you can you can be honest in church. This is a safe place. All right. And all of these things that we kind of know, and there's this shift happening in John's gospel where we start to look at what happens when Jesus interacts with people. Because what we did was we moved from chapter one where it says that the word became flesh and it's glorious. But what does the very next sentence say? And he what? Dwelt among who? Us. And there it is, <laughs> right? He created us. He put us in a perfect scenario and just gave us one thing to honor him and glorify him in. You know, we often think like, why did God even just give us that choice in the Garden of Eden? Could he just made all the trees edible? Well, no, no, no. We, we wanted to give us an opportunity to glorify him. And he said, so, so just don't eat of this one tree. You can have Everything, everything. Just don't do one thing. You know, we had, you've heard the saying, we had one job. <laughs> and we couldn't do it. And thus sin entered the world and death through sin, right? But the story goes and John says, but God, right? He stepped out of the splendors of heaven and onto earth to dwell among us. He put a body on he took on flesh, Scripture says. But therein lies the problem, right? We only have one vision for what flesh is like, right? We resonate more with Paul in Romans 7 when he says, I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I do want to do. And then he says this. I can just see him throwing up his hands like maybe you have in your lifetime. And he says, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Shakespeare had nothing on Paul. We're like, I feel you, brother. If Paul was preaching in that moment, he probably said, can I get an amen in the church? Right. But oh, yeah, Paul wasn't actually a phenomenal preacher. Are you aware of that? At one point, he put a kid, a guy to sleep and he fell out the window and died. Had to go resurrect the brother. 
Look it up. It's there. People. Right? We make the joke. Things would be great if it wasn't for people. You're like, I don't even know if I can answer. (laughs) This is a bait and switch. I can feel it. I read you those quotes at the beginning about women because one of the interactions that Jesus has is here in John chapter 4. Jesus is at a well. He's at a well in a place that he shouldn't have been, according to his culture. Speaking to a human being that he really shouldn't have been speaking to, according to his culture. Jesus was in Samaria. He was at Jacob's well and he was talking to a woman. He was not just talking to any woman. He was talking to a Samaritan woman. And it's in this pressing into relationships and interactions with other people that we actually learn a lot about Jesus. And so what's happening here is we had an interaction with Nicodemus, a very, very religious man. And then we shift gears and we come into this conversation with the woman at the well who is living the complete and utter opposite life that Nicodemus was. So you had Jesus over here making an invitation for Nicodemus to be born again. That Nicodemus, even though you've done everything right to this point, even though you are as religious as they come, you have checked all the boxes, you have dotted all the I's. You need to be born again. You need an entirely new source of life, no matter the fact that you are the wisest. And then yet we come to the woman at the well and we're on the opposite of the spectrum. We are with an outcast, the down and out, the used and abused. And Jesus is going to make an invitation to her just the same as he did to Nicodemus. And it's a beautiful Story, But I want you to recognize that those two settings are being sandwiched together because the reality is, is we're here. We're here. More than likely, we're closer to the woman at the well, yet we believe we're closer to Nicodemus. Well, nobody amend me on that one. All right, I've got my work cut out for me. But we understand this stuff, right? We'd be awesome if it weren't for people. (laughs) We get it. But we learn a lot about each other when we're with people, right? We learn a lot about each other when we're together. Are you a positive or a negative person? Are you an encourager or a complainer? Are you a leader or a follower? We learn about ourselves in our interactions with other people. Nothing will disciple you faster than getting married. Lots of chuckles around the room. (laughs) Until you have kids. (laughs) Then you're like, I thought I had figured it all out. Why is it that the people who have the greatest parenting advice have never had kids? You ever thought about that? Well, I got a lot of amens on that. Okay, touching on nerves now. (laughs) No, because, because what happens when you have children? You go, by God, I'm just hanging on. I'm just going to try to love them well. I'm going to do my best. We out here in the streets, we just doing our best, right? That's kind of, you're like, help me, Lord, right? Like, you hear me say all the time, God's office is at the end of your rope. 
I'm there. <laughs> I'm already there. Man, you just realize in all these different scenarios, maybe you don't have kids, but you went to college and you thought you were going to conquer everything and you recognize that the world's a lot bigger than you maybe thought it was. Maybe you got a new job and you thought it was going to be wonderful and you wished you could go back to your other job. And we could go on and on in these scenarios wherever you're at, right? If you were in elementary and stepped into middle school and like, then all of a sudden your whole world changed, including your body and your voice, and now you're cracking, right? And you're like, oh no, you're not comfortable in your own skin. And we could just, the human experience, right, is just this constant reminder and pressing back into the fact that we aren't as we were supposed to be. And yet, there is light coming through the cracks, right? Because this God became a man, dwelt among us. Through his interaction with Nicodemus, we learn that Jesus has a really big love for people. As a matter of fact, Jesus confronts our assumptions about who's invited into the kingdom, into his family, when he says, I've not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through me. I think a lot of us at times forget that John chapter 3 verse 17 is in the Bible. That it's actually not through our condemnation of the world, but through Jesus coming to rescue the world, which includes you and I. That that's the kingdom he was bringing. If your vision of Jesus' kingdom looks like your cul-de-sac of life, then you probably aren't envisioning the same one he is. And I'm not talking just about your cul-de-sac on the street. (laughs) Talking about where your mind runs and lives and breathes and has its being. Now in John 4, we eavesdrop on another very intentional interaction Jesus has with a woman. Keyword being intentional. Jesus made yet another straight path into the cultural stigmas, structures, and sins of his day, and he was great at it. He did this with Nicodemus under the cover of night. Why? Because Nicodemus wasn't supposed to be there. But there was something about this Jesus. And now we are in Samaria with Jesus, and he is meeting with a woman. Look at... John chapter 4, starting in verse 1, the Bible says this, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. See, they had a problem with John already. And now Jesus is doing even more than John. And so Jesus learns that they've learned, verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea, And departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass. Somebody lift up your voice and say, he had to. He had to pass. That's an interesting statement because the reality is, is you didn't have to. (laughs) As a matter of fact, some of the writers and I think even the ESV study Bible, which some of you may have, points out the fact that actually a lot of strict law abiding Jews would actually plan extra days for their trip and they would go around. They would cross the Jordan River and go around Samaria because they didn't want to be unclean and to be around those people would make you unclean. 
So Jesus had to go to Samaria for a very different reason than just, well, the road's closed. Listen, there's nothing more annoying in Tampa than when a road's closed. Can I get an amen? He said, that's right. I heard that. I received that. Right? We get it. We get it. So for them to not go through Samaria to get to the, to get to Galilee was a, was a thing, by the way. Because it would require, remember, they weren't, they didn't hop in their car, they didn't grab an Uber, they didn't take a plane, they walked, or they rode a donkey, right? So we're talking a significant commitment here to not be around a certain group of people. But it says that Jesus had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and so Jesus, what's that next word? Wearied. Jesus was fully man. He got tired like you get tired. He got hungry like you get hungry. He got thirsty like you get thirsty. He had needs like you right now in this very moment have needs. He understands. He was wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Very interesting. Jesus, John wants us to know that Jesus was tired and weary and that he had to go through Samaria. And while that doesn't mean a ton to you, for the reasons I've already said, it meant a lot to Jesus. And so with Jesus being here at this well... It kind of feels like going to this well that was Jacob's, that was given to his son, that there might be a lot of significance here, that this might be a beautiful thing. But in fact, it's it's not. <laughs> it is for Jesus, but it's not for his disciples. What If we were to fast forward to the end of this story when Jesus does incredible things, the disciples come back because they had left Jesus there to go find provisions for him because he was tired and hungry. And they're going to try to convince him to eat instead of do this ministry. The Bible says when they come back, they, they look from afar and they say, why, why is Jesus talking to this woman? So there's so many things happening here in this story that we're not going to have a chance to unpack today. But I want you to have that setting that what Jesus is about to do was disruptive to every part of his disciples faith. And so we're going to zero in on the interaction Jesus has with his, with this woman at the well. But I want you to just keep in the back of your mind and maybe read through this week that we're probably guilty of what these disciples were guilty of. Only having space and a place and a time and energy for the people that we want to be in God's kingdom. And there's a thread there that we can't pull today for sake of time. But I want you to know it's there. That God, remember in chapter 3, that God so loved what? The world. Is there a human being on planet earth made in the image of God that isn't included in the world? Talk to me. There's not. And so a lot of the things we have built our kingdom to keep us from might actually be the very things that God has asked us to step into. 
Very important. Because that's the underbelly of what's happening here between Jesus and his disciples. Is that this interaction is teaching all of us about who Jesus is. And yet the assumptions that his disciples come back with, they're going to have to relearn what it is for the kingdom of God to come on earth as it is in heaven. And so we enter into that. We come into that place because we're learning more about Jesus as the story gets better because Jesus had to go. He had to go, in my opinion, because there were centuries of religious hatred boiling over in this what I'll call gray space of land. There were a lot of people who thought this was their land. There's a lot of people who thought that this was sacred ground. There's a lot of people that thought the Samaritans had ruined a whole lot of things. They were, as that century's worth of hate, religious hate would say, they were unclean. They couldn't possibly be God's kids. You jump to verse 7, the story gets even better, right? So not only is Jesus in Samaria, but look how the story develops. It says a woman from Samaria. Why does John want us to know this? <laughs> because that's even worse than being in Samaria. Not only was he in Samaria, but he was with a woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, it gets even worse. Now he's going to talk to her. What are we doing? Jesus, you're in the wrong neighborhood with the wrong people having the wrong conversations. Don't you know, have you learned anything on earth? We don't go there. We don't talk to them. We don't interact. How do I know this is true? Because she's shocked. She's shocked that he's there. She's shocked that he talks to her. Look at what happens. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? All the things. She's recognizing that in this moment that she is that troublemaker woman. That she is the problem according to Jewish men who were very religious. She was the epitome of sin and uncleanness in that culture. And though Jesus hadn't uncovered it yet, she knew all the things that we're going to learn here about herself. She recognized, I am the least of these. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus is with this woman and he's talking to her and he's asking her for some water. So much defilement in one story. If he were in church today, we would say Jesus has officially backslidden. He's officially on the slippery slope. We're chuckling because we've used these things, haven't we? But Jesus is doing something here. Even this woman is shocked that this conversation is happening. How is it that you are talking to me? Our people don't talk to each other. Your gender doesn't recognize mine unless it needs something. What is it that you want? 
And unsurprisingly, like with Nicodemus, Jesus takes a hard right and doesn't talk to her about the physical needs that she thinks he's after. He enters, so to speak, right into her world. He meets her where she is at. Look at verse 10. The Bible says this. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you can hear the sarcasm. I love it. You have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman said to him sarcastically again, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She's like, you got something to offer? Make us want to come back here ever again. That'd be great. Thank you, sir. Like Nicodemus and honestly like us. So it doesn't matter if you're religious or if you're irreligious. Like Nicodemus, this woman at the well, and honestly like us, we are caught up in what is material. You picking up what I'm laying down? We're caught up in the things of this world. We're caught up in the things that we have, the things that we're building, the things that we want, the things that we even need. She needs something, someone to open her eyes to what is spiritual. And oh, if there was ever a word for us in the 21st century United States of American church, it would be that. That we get, I get so caught up in what is material. Nicodemus did. The woman at the well is. And Jesus is offering a completely different thing. In the same way Jesus would come to the end of his ministry and stand before his people that he came to save, John chapter 1 tells us. As they chant, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Save us now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. They had expectations of Jesus that were totally material. Overthrow Rome. Give us back what's ours. Hosanna in the highest. And of course, Jesus takes a hard right hand turn and goes to the cross. And those very same people are extremely disappointed that he didn't do what they expected him to do. And they change their tune from Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him. Give us Barabbas. You ever just wonder how in the short span of a week somebody can go from that to being fine with a murderer being released back into their society? And by the way, they didn't have Simply Safe on their homes. And cameras. And you get anywhere near the house. Boop, 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 right? Who are you? What are you doing here? Just from Amazon, you ordered this? Okay. 
drop it at the door. I don't want to see you. Get out. <laughs> I'm, I'm being facetious, but we, we know, right? We've got all the things. By the way, we had Simply Safe, so it's okay. Breathe. You're like, I got to go home and get rid of my security system. <laughs> it's not what I'm saying. Protect your children, please. But just think about, think about the, think about what happened there. Unmet expectations are a really big deal, aren't they? And all of their expectations were wrapped up in this material space. Jesus comes and he offers this Samaritan woman something altogether different and she can't yet see it. And I honestly, I think that's just where we end up by Thursday. Right? We gather and we worship and we hear the word and we... We unveil our hearts before the Lord in prayer and singing and all the things. And then life, the entanglement of the material gets us. And yet Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit is there. But can we see it? Or are we so wrapped up in the world that we start to think that what the world has is what we need Jesus' statement to her would have no doubt had her mind racing. She's being sarcastic and she's defending her feelings, I'm sure. But the the questions, who is this man? What is this gift of God? What is living water? We love to play these games too, don't we? We, we want to play this game about her. What was she thinking? For her to be a woman, she must have been a victim. To be near a man was to be in danger. What is this stranger going to do? She could have been thinking any of those things or was it the opposite because of the five husbands she's already had living with the six. Would she have seen Jesus coming and said, oh, here's another guy and he wants to talk to me. He must need something. What can I get out of this one? We love to play these games and wonder what is going on under the surface here? What is in this story? And John is very careful to give us exactly none of those details. Because what we quickly learned in Nicodemus' story and what we quickly learn in the woman at the well story is that neither story is really about those people. These stories are both about Jesus. That it doesn't matter where you are, that the gospel, the kingdom of God is open to everybody. And so for Nicodemus, you need to be washed with the water and the word and the spirit of God. If you're not washed, born again by the water and the spirit, right? When you step into the waters of baptism, it doesn't matter if you get baptized publicly, if Jesus isn't there, right? When we dip somebody in, we say, raised to walk in a new way of life. What's happening there? Jesus is here. Right? Your baptism can be the most significant moment of your life. Like, isn't that my conversion moment? Explain that to me. <laughs> when is that? What do you look at? Is it something you did or is it something he did? It's something he did. He moved into your world and took you as you are and is shaping you into who he wants you to be. Don't miss it. Nicodemus, you must be born again. This woman at the well, if you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked me for living water. What? 
Jesus shows zero interest in playing this game. And John doesn't either. John doesn't explore her motives at all. And what we begin to realize is that this is really about Jesus. The conversation is really not about getting a bucket of water from this hundred foot deep well and giving Jesus a drink. It's really about the Spirit of God. Listen to me. It's really about the Spirit of God connecting our sensory experience of water and wind to the nature and activity of God. That's what's happening. She is seeing a well. Jesus is seeing the Spirit of God. He's inviting her to living water. He's explaining to her what that looks like. Look at verse 16. Jesus answered her, go call your husband and come here. He knew what he was doing. The woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. I love this next statement. This is great. Sir, (laughs) I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah? Can you imagine the shift that was taking place in her world right now? She began to make that turn to the spiritual. She began to see things that she previously had not yet seen. She was beginning to be converted by the Spirit of God. And it's beautiful. And where did that begin? In the recognition of who I am apart from Christ. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. How in the world does this Jewish rabbi who found his way into Samaria, which was insane, just that he was there, And he happens to come at the time she is avoiding the crowds to come in the middle of the of the afternoon when nobody else would be there. And he's there. There's a lot of significance happening here. She went out there at that time because nobody else was because everybody else knew who she was. And now here's Jesus who she's never met, never seen telling her who she is. She's being seen. Oh, it's good to be known. You see, I joked about the problem is being around people, like you're great until there's people, but there's a reason we always go try to connect with people, isn't there? We need each other. For those of us who are extroverts, we just need a little time. Give us some space. Let us, let us breathe. <laughs> but we need each other. Make no mistake about it. And so here she is, and Jesus is opening her eyes and She says, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here. When true worshipers will worship in what? Spirit and truth. He's redefining worship for her. To not be something that happens in Jerusalem, but something that happens within the movement 
and Spirit of God in the heart and life of a person who gathers with other people who have been moved by the Spirit of God to worship Him. What an awesome thing. For the Father is seeking, notice, the Father is seeking, we aren't seeking, the Father's seeking such people to worship Him. God is Spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. And here it is, verse 26. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Wow. Everything is different. Eugene Peterson points out in one of his books that Just as this conversation is about to turn into a squabble over worship and style of worship, Jesus' words suddenly create a new reality in which God takes center ground. She gets it. She gets it. She makes the connection between the things she knows about the Messiah and what Jesus is saying to her. And isn't it amazing that She sees him on the spot. What a powerful thing. But look at what happens next. In verse 27. Just then, his disciples came back. And don't you know that the Holy Spirit of God, as he moved John to choose his words, chose them carefully. I mean, you, you, you unpack all of that and it's just like, it's moving. Because we identify with this woman. And she's opened to the spirit of the living God. And I was laughing about the people thing earlier because that's exactly what happens here. Jesus has this encounter with this nobody and opens her up and he does something glorious that literally for the rest of time will define the kingdom of heaven. And what's it say? The disciples came back. And the disciples don't have any of that context. Look what it says. It says the disciples marveled that Jesus was talking. <laughs> they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But, but, but here, here's people too, right? But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They marveled at it. They marveled amongst themselves. They gossiped about it amongst themselves. They complained about it amongst themselves. And then they got in front of Jesus and nobody said anything. Does that sound familiar? Keep moving. Keep reading. (laughs) Sounds like church. (laughs) That's why we get the jokes, right? That's why the cliches exist. But Jesus is just pressing them further and further into what it means to be a child of God. Verse 28, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, and listen to me, this is why we tell you to invite people on Easter. Because what is the first and natural reaction to somebody who has met the spirit of a living God? She says it in the very next verse. She says, come and see. Come and see. Come and see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Wow. 
It's amazing. And everything that has to do with living this life in the physical, Jesus is working. He's always working. He's always moving. He's always doing something. Jesus is far more active in your mundane life than you might even realize. Listen, in most of our experience, spiritual refers to a mood or an action or a trait or a desire or something that needs to be conjured up inside of you through really good music. But spirituality is not primarily about you or me. It's not about our experience. In fact, this story rescues us from the idea that it's our feelings that will conjure up the spirituality inside of us. Spirituality is not some secret knowledge or some secret experience that you haven't had yet. Spirituality has nothing to do with your ability. Being filled with the Spirit will change the way you see the world. I love the way G.K. Chesterton wrote this famous quip that he said. He said, there are two kinds of people in the world. One, when the trees are waving wildly in the wind, the first group thinks it's the wind that moves the trees. But then he said, and somewhere along the way, the second group of people came in and told us that it's the trees that create the wind. (laughs) Which one's true? And it defines the two worldviews that are out there today. Somewhere along the line in our secular moment, we walked farther and farther and farther away from the spiritual. To now that we actually believe that it's the trees that create the wind. And if you are not spiritual, that sounds great. Why? Because I can't see the wind. It's easier for me to believe that the trees are creating the wind because I can see the tree. But in reality, the Spirit of God is the one moving in your life. It is the wind, in fact, that moves the trees. The Samaritan woman that day received living water. What is that? It was that her life, which was a mess, was re-enchanted to live a totally different vision for her life. And a woman, listen to me, catch this, don't miss this. A woman who had gone out to the well at a time when she wouldn't have to be around anyone was all of a sudden on a dime willing to go back and go straight into the heart of town and say, come and see this man who told me all that I ever did. And they would have said, we know what you've done. Her shame in that moment was gone. Listen, I wonder if you walked in here today full of shame I think all of us, apart from Jesus, could walk into this place full of shame if these people only knew. I just want you to know that that woman, when she encountered Jesus, not religion, not some version of Jesus that we've tried to give you, but when she stepped into conversation, when she interacted with the Son of God, all of that went away. She was given living water. Listen, 
every single person in this room, as you get to know them, we're going to disappoint you at some point. Probably already have. But it's because we are in that same space, needing, wanting, desiring, living water, and not all of us have been able to find it. We've been sold this this bill of goods that we don't talk to them, we don't go there, we don't do this. It's over here that you find living water. And Jesus erases all of that narrative, walks straight into the stigmas of his day and says, no, 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 I am living water. So I don't know what you walked in here today carrying from your past like Nicodemus, all the religious stuff. Or maybe you're like, I don't do any religion. I'm, I'm over here. It doesn't matter. The kingdom of God is open and accessible to everybody who has ever breathed. Who has ever taken on flesh in the image of God. And there's, there's two things there for us. One, if you've never surrendered, if you've never confessed, if you've never been drawn by the Spirit of God into His family, it is for you today. He is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. That is the gift. It's Him. And so if you've never done that, today is the day. Come to Jesus and live The life you didn't even know was there. And then for the rest of us that that do know Jesus, that do have the answers, but aren't living the answers. Jesus would say to you again, it's time for you to be born again. (laughs) It's time for you to come back and drink of that living water. It's not enough to have answers. Come and see this man. There is freedom in being Known. The natural reaction of somebody who has met Jesus, who's been re-enchanted with the Holy Spirit. We can watch it in action. Look at verse 31. So she goes back and she says, come and see this man who told me. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Did he get a meal somewhere that we didn't? Who, who now can't see the spiritual? Who's caught up in the material? The disciples. We're right back where we were when we met the woman. And that's the danger in church. Is that you can be right here next to it and never know it. You can be right here next to the bread of life every Sunday and never taste it. That's what's happening here. And Jesus is taking these disciples on the same journey that he took Nicodemus on. The same one that he took the woman at the well on. He's bringing them to it and saying, I have food that you don't even know about yet. Wow. Somebody slip him a donut? What's going on here? Verse 34 Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of the Father who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. This is the work 
This is the work, friends. This is the work. Look up. We want desperately to look in. I do it all week. (laughs) And if you were honest, you would be that way. You would say that too. Until Jesus sets us free. This is why in just a few weeks we'll look at John 15, 5, when Jesus is apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, really? Nothing? I I feel like I do some things. Nothing that matters for eternal life. I love this. Gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. You don't have to save anybody. You don't have to save anybody next week. You just invite them to come and see. That's, that's the thing. Come and see this man who told me everything that I've done. I'm going to have the band come up and we're going to Sing some of that song again, Praise the King. Because it's within the context of recognizing who is this King that we can praise the King, right? Because this is a totally different thing that's happening. Nicodemus could only find true life by being born again. And so this woman could only find satisfaction by drinking deeply of living water. Your life is the same. Life doesn't come from the trees, it comes from the wind. Life doesn't come from what you can build, it comes from the Spirit of God. Now once your sail is filled with the wind, Jesus clearly points that we're supposed to share that. And I love the testimony of what happened in Samaria. Look at verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from that town... Believed in him. Why? Because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, asked him to stay with him, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. Imagine if everybody had just stuck to their prejudices, just done what they were supposed to do. Imagine what would have been missed. But that's not what happened. Because God is always at work in the heart and life of his people. And so we say all that to say is you shouldn't feel even an ounce of shame or guilt or anything in this moment. But a profound gratitude that Jesus walks straight into your life regardless of the circumstances regardless of the prejudice regardless of the thoughts regardless of the sin regardless of the wins regardless of the losses and he begins a conversation with you through his spirit that takes a right hand turn from the things of this world and invites you to embrace and drink deeply from living water But he won't make you. He won't make you. He'll just woo you slowly 
until you taste and see that he is good. See, because the reality is, is that some of us sit here today and we still just think that we bring something to the table. We still just live in this reality where the material things are the most important things. I still have those tangles. It's it's like cobwebs that you can't get off you. (laughs) We need help. You can walk into work tomorrow. You can walk into school tomorrow. A totally different being. If you are filled with the Spirit. You want work to not suck tomorrow? I can say that in church. It's okay. Full of it today. Pray for me. If you're watching online, I'm sorry. Listen, as your pastor, there is nothing that I would want more for you. All this stuff could fall down in an earthquake tomorrow. And you'd still be with us. It's not about the stuff. It's not about the material things. My prayer would be that if your house fell down, you'd move right into somebody's nearby. Sitting nearby to you right now. That it wouldn't even be a thought. You know, when we read Acts and it says they had all things in common, like what does that even mean? (laughs) It's possible, friends. It's possible. When Jesus moves in, everything changes. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. What's, because it's all His. And so we're chasing after this thing that's just completely different than what the world would suggest. And it's Jesus. It's always only Jesus. Because when He comes in, He does the rest. And so I want to invite you to stand with me. Go ahead and stand. Before we sing in this moment, I just feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. I just feel the Holy Spirit impressing on me that we need to pray for marriages today. That there's an attack on that. But I simultaneously feel like the Holy Spirit's telling me to pray for those of you who are single. There's an attack on that. Nobody's identity is safe in our secular moment. But the beauty of the gospel is that you have an identity in Christ. That it doesn't matter what you're struggling with today. Doesn't matter what nobody knows about that's bringing you shame today. Even if you walked in here today thinking you were doing awesome and I just stepped all over it. (laughs) I want you to know that Jesus is there for that too. And I want you to hear me say this as your pastor on behalf of the Lord because He says it in His Word. I want you to know, listen to me, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you. I also want you to know that He said He forgives you. That whatever you walked in here, the sins, as Scripture says, that so easily entangle you, you can leave those behind. 
because Jesus went to that cross that Good Friday. And it's called Good Friday because he stretched his arms out and had them nailed to a tree so that he could on behalf of the entire world, the sins of the entire world, say it is finished. No more striving, no more working, no more trying, no more religioning. (laughs) Made that up. He loves you. The role that you play is receiving in joy that gift. And so I just want to pray over you and ask that God would massage that into your heart because I know the temptation will be to walk out of here and not believe it. You might even be writing me off already. Please don't. Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible. Come on. Tells me so. Let's pray. Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us? Come thou fount of living water. Wash over your people today. We need you. We want you. Give us faith. Give us your spirit. You promised it. You painted pictures of things that would be greater than what you did. It's hard to to wrap my head around that, Lord. But I believe you can do it. I believe you can do it in our midst. I believe you can do it right here. I pray that you would help us to see your kingdom come right here in Tampa as it is in heaven. You're doing it all over our city. You're doing it here. Holy Spirit, I pray for the one in this room, the one watching online, the one listening later that does not know you, that they're tangled in the things that are material. I pray that you would open their eyes right now to see wonderful things in your word. Holy Spirit, would you, through the truth and through that living water, would you speak to them right now? Would you open their heart? Draw them to yourself. Make that move in their life. Would you wash them by the Spirit of God? I pray for the person listening that is religious at heart and has had all the things buttoned up. I pray that you would unwind that into a glorious ruin that they might look up help us to see you Jesus we love you as we sit in your presence I think of the marriages that are represented in this room online God there's a lot of confusion in our secular moment about what you've created. A lot of thinking the trees create the wind. And I just pray that you, Holy Spirit, would lead and guide the marriages of Redeemer City Church. That those relationships would strengthen. You said a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Holy Spirit, would you move into our marriages? Would you help us not believe the lies of the devil? Would you go before us and behind us like you did for the children of Israel in the desert? Cloud by day and fire by night. 
We need you, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray for every single person who is not married, who's in school or in college or working as a young adult and following your will for their life. I pray that they would not believe the lies of the devil, that they need anything outside of you to find life and satisfaction and joy. Would you fill them with your spirit right now? That they would know how much they're loved and how much they are not alone. But you are with them. And so are we. God, I pray for the things going on in our country. Nashville being the latest. People are broken. Our mental health is broken. And we're trying to slap political band-aids on spiritual issues. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, would you work through your church? Would we be the kind of people that have all things in common, that the people around us would look and say, what is happening there? Jesus, you prayed that in John 17. You prayed that we would be one as you and the Father are one, and by this the world would know that you are God. Would you do something new in our midst, all around this country, that could only be explained by you? Would you help us to be faithful witnesses to your harvest? Would you help us do that even this week? We love you, Jesus. Come on, church, let's sing this out. Praise your King this morning.